Arteta! What a strike! Sending Arsenal sweep aside the champions, leaving Pep wondering should he even show up at Wembley. This is the Arsenal Vision post match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. They better just keep an eye on the Champions League because they got no business showing up at Wembley for an FA Cup semifinal against a team that can blow the doors off the champions like Arsenal did. There will be no Centurions this year. In fact, Pep owes it to us. He owes us a win on Saturday because we protected Manchester City's points record. So if nothing else, there should be a little quid pro quo. But let's face it, the mighty Arsenal cannot be defeated. Liverpool completely flummoxed by our tactics, allowing them to shoot at will, have as much possession as they want. At one point, out shooting us 17 to nothing over a 45-minute period. But it all played right into our hands, which was to let Van Dyke turn into Peak Mustafi, let Allison turn into Peak Almunia, and we win 2-1. And that's how I remember it, friends. And here to discuss it with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's about as, about as effective as our tactics. Got there in the end. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. All right, look. There's some things we're going to need to discuss that aren't the game. I think Arteta's comments after the game certainly uh, will have piqued some interest. We may want to touch on the Trent Alexander-Arnold foul that wasn't a red card and the, the continuing lack of consistency when it comes to the use of VAR and these decisions, but it's not nearly as interesting as discussing Arsenal beating the champions, and I think you'd have to say you saw it coming, and on the balance of play, it was, well, all right, enough, I'm knocking off this this routine. Paul, I'm going to start with you because I think a launching off point for this conversation, we discussed it a little on the, the Instant Reaction pod yesterday, is just evaluating results and evaluating performances, being able to smile and laugh and celebrate beating Liverpool and being able to have a a sort of sober examination of, of the tactics and the performance. So what I'd like to do, I know on Twitter you had some positive things to say about the performance and the way we played, and, and I think there are some positives to be picked out of this, but I'm, I want to get your 30,000-foot view. I don't want to go into individuals and you know individual performances, stuff like that. Just... Your 30,000-foot view of the things you liked in this performance that left you feeling pretty good about it. Look, they broke my Crampetron 4,000, the bastards, because, like, this is arguably the best team in Europe, and we beat them. There's, I didn't have that scenario prog- programmed in there. And, um, look, it, it's, a, it's a question of degree. Th- there were good performances in this. We, uh, I'm banned from apparently... a talking about them individually for now just for now yeah let's try to handle one thing at a time and there were good aspects and i just you know how we are after a game we go one way or the other and it was like almost universally we were crap um but but i'm happy we got the result which is totally fine i just didn't think we were that crap they're just well, right, so, so what of aspects of it, and by the way, I'm not saying yeah. that that's wrong, that we were totally crap and there's no redeemable aspects of this performance. I'm just curious yeah. what things you look so, at and you said, I, I thought we did X effectively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the pressing was pretty good. And within that, I thought uh, Lacazette for the first time in a while is starting to pop in terms of uh, what he contributed. And that was before get involved in the gold. So our pressing up the other end was good when it happened. There was a, a tactic there. Um, we kind of gave them the wings a little bit, but not to the extremes Emery did. I think this was a much more proactive, engaged performance from us. 
taking on the champions to some degree. Yes, it was at home, so that has a little bit of a factor. I thought we were pretty coherent in the middle of the park, but with two midfielders, you're you're not exactly going to take them apart. We we made our bed, we lay in it. I thought I thought we looked sluggish in particular in the first twenty minutes. Um and we kind of woke up and got to the speed of them because you saw with their synchronicities. I mean, their first their goal against us, it's kind of a nothing situation that that they just carved us open in. And well, there are a lot of they, individual errors in it, which is sort of I, I think the issue for us right now. But we'll we'll get to that later on. Yeah, there are, but the, to me, so for me on that, there aren't huge. There's tightening up. I don't see huge clangers there. Like you can list two, three players that are a little off doing things that if they did any other part of the game that didn't lead to a goal or a goal attempt, you'd be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, Cedric goes up for challenge, doesn't win it, big fucking deal. Louise runs back at at without the total intensity required to cover Robertson. So I definitely think uh, we needed to wake up for that first 20 minutes or so. They were They were well beyond us. We were basically chasing them around the pitch, and that was bad. Um, we were really slow to start against Spurs, too, so that's kind of weird. Uh, we've been better against other teams starting. But once we got into that uh, down-to-goal drinks break, after that, I actually think we look quite lively. We look in it. Um, you know, I'm not making any big claims here that we've turned a, a corner or whatever. But th- there's here's here's my big feeling on this game, which is the beauty of this this particular period, the restart, is that you hear the coach coaching 90 minutes uh, with this team, working players, working angles, uh, trying to get combinations going, trying to get styles of play in place. And I think this has been much bigger for Arteta than it's been for anybody else. Klopp basically gets to watch this game for 90 minutes. He's, he just wants his team to execute. In fact, he seemed to really enjoy this game for most of it. He was laughing his ass off. So it looked like a bit of a win-win. Um, we kept him amused. Um, so, uh, you know, the... The other thing I would like to say, and I'll, I'll give the mic back after this, is that uh, this is going to be a tough window for us. I'm, I know we think this is kind of a wind down of this team when we start again, but we also know in the other part of our brain, these may be mostly the players he's playing with next year. So That's a this problem. is all, <laughs> it, yeah, this is all very, very relevant how this season yeah. winds up. These points are good. This win is good. Anything you can claim out of it is good. These players will have to be recycled and made better. And Arteta's coaching them for 95 minutes through these different situations. Um, I thought there were good bits to pick out of it mm. that we need to build on. And, you know, there, there was some stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, all that defensive solidity, defending the Alamo, getting bodies behind. You know, we got lots of bodies between their shooters and our goal. And, uh, you know, the whole Martinez thing is, as well. well look, I mean, he's pulling out a world he save every game. Yeah. So, you know, during that, stuff. During that 45-minute period where they outshot a 17-0, to zero, I think the the flip side of that story is that the, the sum total of XG over that 45-minute period is like 0.9 or something. I don't think they had a shot over 0.05 XG, something like that. Yeah. So so what, what it does tell you is that to the extent that we were defensively well positioned, they weren't creating the clear cut chances. You know, look, my only and, thing... Uh, can I add one thing really quickly, which sure. is I, I, 
many times I would have felt really ner- nervous going into that second half. I'm not saying I thought we were going to hold on, but I thought we might hold on. Um, and that feeling stayed with me for most of the second okay. half. I wonder if this was a game where we were sitting in fourth and a win gets us Champions League and a loss puts us out of it, if you might have felt as comfortable. I think the low level of stakes associated sure. with this game, I, I was more amused by this game than I was stressed by it. I don't think I started to feel stressed until about the last 10 minutes when I was like, hmm, if we do you, this... You and Klopp, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe Europa League is back on. Look, I think, Clive, for me... I want to be clear about something. The only way to win a game isn't possess the ball, take tons of shots, pull a team apart, and win handsomely. Like, Jose Mourinho proved at Chelsea for many years that you could park the bus, have a compact, effective defensive structure, and win that way. I mean, Leicester won a title defending deep and countering. My only point, though, is that's a plan that you execute. Like, if I'm at the top of a ladder changing a light bulb, and I fall off the ladder, bash my head on a table, bang into a chair, flip over a footstool, and land on my feet, that's not parkour, right? That's falling off a ladder. It happened to end well. And I think my only criticism of this is that I I don't think you could say this was an effective defend deep and counter strategy because we didn't do that. We just sort of fell off the ladder, banged our head, fell off the table, but landed on our feet. And, you know, if you want to call it parkour, be my guest, I would call it a little bit dumb luck. And, oh, by the way... That's deserved sometimes because I don't think we deserve to drop points against Leicester. I don't think we deserve to drop points against, well, Spurs is a little more up for grabs in terms of how you want to analyze that. But there are games like that all season. So I'll take the variance here. What I would ask you, Clive, is about the setup. I'm glad he rested Aubameyang because Saturday's the bigger game. I'm glad he rested Ceballos because Saturday's the bigger game. I think he, he managed to not only get some rest in for players, but try something different and still get a result. So Arteta comes out the big winner here more than anybody maybe because now top seven is maybe back on and we're a little more rested for Saturday. But for you, what did you think of this system? I realized that it was driven in part by the opposition and in part by the rotation, but how did you see it? I saw some people referring to it as a back three. I didn't see it that way. I thought it was a four, three, three with a flat three in midfield Shaq on the left. Sab- uh, um, pardon me, not Sabas. Uh, uh, who is a midfield three? It was Terrera. Terrera on the right. Um, and Tierney on the left. Uh, no, who who was that? Oh. oh, Saka. Sorry, uh, Saka was Sa- over on yeah. the left. Saka on the here. left, Shaka in the middle, and, and and Torreira on the right. And and I felt that they played more like a flat three in front of a back four. But I know a lot of people saw it more as the the back three. I mean, how how did you see the system flowing, and what do you think the the idea behind it was, and how he executed it? So yeah, I think it was a fluid system. It went back three, back four, back five, depending on where they pushed us. I think what we tried to do was really try to block off their sides. Everybody knows that Alexander-Arnold and Robertson are quite good at, at pushing on, and their goal was a great example of that. I think they push on without any fear. And it's, it's really interesting when you watch them go. They burst, they drive into holes really, really quickly. So when you empty a hole, they drive into it. And they do that. And why do they do that? Because they've got Fabinho, six foot 100, standing there in the middle of the pitch. They've got Wijnaldum, unbelievable runner and sprinter. Oxley Chamberlain, people don't like him, but he's pretty sharp at sprinting, getting to balls first. Then they've got two other massive runners behind them in Gomez and, and Van Dyke. So when you're a fullback and you go out for a header with um, Suarez, and Suarez probably overreaches, he's now beyond the ball, thinking, should I go for a foul? I can't get one. Robertson just goes. And all we do is we lose two or three races. 
That's all. So as a fan, when you see that, we laugh. Because there is not a thing that David Luiz could do. He can't get another yard out of his body. Mm. There's not a thing Holding can do. He can't get another bit of sharpness out of his body. And and the same for Shaka. And Suarez is out of the picture. And the ball's at the back of our net. And if you're a football watcher like we all are, like most people listen to podcasts are, you can't blame anybody for that. That is the gap that we're talking about. You can see it. Your eyes never lie. You can see by how they punch that ball across the grass. They kick it harder than us. Their first touch is better than us. And they move better than us. And they move with power, speed, intensity mm. into the areas they want. They go short one side. They diagonal into Alexander-Arnold, who whips it back across the box the other side. We watch, we're watch. we watching this. Everybody's watching this. And inside, we're thinking, crikey, they're... Against Spurs, against Brighton, against all these teams, we were angry because we know we're at their level. Against Liverpool, we're, we're not angry. We're thinking, bloody hell, we're just hanging on here. We're hanging on. And there's not another ounce the coach can do, not another ounce most of these players can do. And, and if anything, that's what really struck me last night. So I think we flipped. We did quite well blocking off Salah, particularly... And not bad blocking off um, Mane and on that side. Although I think they really targeted Cedric on that side a little bit. They 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 used the wide areas, and we tried to almost do like a, a front three V. So for me, it was a fluid system. And I think the two players that make it fluid is the ability of Tierney to play left centre half in the three, left back. It, and the way he does it, based on the man around him, is really good. The reaction of Saka. What, he knows when to come tight and support him and when to push up to create more an, an overload in midfield. And Cedric does it up to a point, although I felt he was detailed to be closer to holding because holding is quite, not a bad zonal defender, mm. but he lacks speed. So don't leave him in too much wide areas against Marner on his own, although I thought he did very well against a player that obviously was superior to him, but he managed to body him a couple of times and get him angry and get him off his game. So, so that worked out. So I wouldn't worry too much about the system. What I thought Arteta did really well was block off certain players for as much as long as he can. And I think this guy, I know we all like him, but, you know, that's pretty good what he done there last night. I'm not saying it was super tactical, but the way he deployed the players that he had... And the way they work for him, you've you got to tip your hat off to him. I thought he was really, really good. Yeah, and, and I, I did see it as a 4-3-3 personally. I, I mean, I get that it moved around and it was fluid. I totally agree with that. But I think that that uh, Saka on the left, Torreira on the right, and Shaq in the middle of midfield. And I think basically the way it was meant to work is that they Saka had to drop in and help block off the running lanes for uh, Salah and, and help Tierney with that. And then Torreira had to drop in and help... Uh, holding and Cedric block off the running lanes for uh, Sadio Mane, right? Yeah. And then, you know, you, you have the easier job with Firmino because he's not quite as mobile and he's not going to go as deep and, and, and so Shaka can occupy that space. So they all sort of had their their player that they were responsible for. And I think it mostly worked. I mean, again, they had a lot of shots. They had a lot of opportunities from, from range and, and half chances. They didn't have tons of clear-cut chances. The goal was obviously a clear-cut chance. I think... Maybe Paul was a little generous to Cedric in, in his decision to go for that ball in the aerial duel and then winding himself so he couldn't run back. And I think he's a little generous with Louise, who went walkabout in my estimation, and Shaka wasn't aware of the danger in behind. I, I thought it was 
a lot of individual poor play that led to collectively bad positioning for for Mane to to put that home. But let's let's switch to the goals we scored for a minute. Let's let's try to stay positive in this win for as long as we can. As much as it it pains me to do it, obviously, Paul. Um, I think Alexander Lacazette had had kind of sunk to the level for for some people, myself included. Let's let's just say it. Let me not pawn this off on other people. I, th- I think he had sunk to the level where there was a question whether there was an Arsenal future for him. I mean, Eddie Nketiah starting ahead of him when Nketiah hasn't even really clearly ma- made it clear in anyone's mind, I think, yet that he is a top Premier League striker and he had he had sort of taken Lacazette's place. He wasn't getting shots. He, he really wasn't playing at the level that not only we need him at, but that I think he had at one time, certainly. And then I think in the Leicester game, he started to really turn it around a bit without getting the goals. He was getting into position. He was getting shots. He was putting players in. He had a good all-round game without the finish. This game, there wasn't a lot that any Arsenal attacking player could do, but I think the way he reads where the ball is going to intercept, to slide it to Reese Nelson, and the way he reads the ball to win it, to round the keeper to score, that was confident play. It was effective play. He had some really good footwork on the edge of our area to get us out of pressure a few times. I thought this was a good Lacazette game, and mm. given that we don't know what will happen with Aubameyang and whether Lacazette is even really sellable at that point, are you encouraged by this performance as sort of continuing to slightly reassure you about Lacazette being someone that can that can contribute for us? I am, and it also makes him more sellable, so it's it's all good, and it's good for him. I mean, if if somebody like an Atletico Madrid were looking at him but concerned that maybe he was going off the boil the last few games should put some lead in their collective pencil. I I thought he was pretty sparky against Spurs, but that was lost in the general malaise. And of course he had that screamer of a goal. Screamer, yeah. <clears throat> and we should remember in this that kind of, uh, you wouldn't quite call it our turnaround, but our turnaround in this game kind of coincides. Remember uh, Lacazette uh, tracking down Mane in their, in their third, mm-hmm. uh, nipping the ball from him behind. Uh, turn it around, and uh, we then have some kind of quick counter in the final third, goes out for a corner or something, ends up back in our box, and then we begin the, the passage of play that leads to the goal. Can so I stop you for say. a second, too? That yeah. corner that winds up back in our box, if I remember yeah. correctly, it was a really good corner routine, too. It was the first we'd seen anything like it, but mm. am I right? I think it kind of went right. short out to the top of the box, and then they played a ball over the top to someone running in behind to cross it. Like, it was a really... Good, yeah. well scripted. I don't remember routine. if that was the one, but I remember the there routine you're talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. It was good yeah. to see. Yeah, yeah there was one. Yeah. Um, so look, he was. I said before, part of the problem with this guy is he needs a smaller uniform. He just he's drowned in those stupid bloody big shorts they all wear. I'm saying I've got old man eyes here and the sloppy uniforms and stuff. But um, you know, he, 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 sometimes the guy and the uniform don't match up. I think he's. We spend a lot of time worrying about his heavy legs, and I think there's validity to that. I also think uh, if you read back on his previous incarnations at other clubs, fitness has been a bit of a challenge to him. So wouldn't be a surprise. He started this season with an injury, and it took, as Tim predicted, it, it almost cost him his the full season in terms of performances. He has a restart where he catches up, but then match fitness takes this guy maybe a little longer than others. Um, I, you know, again, there, there's only so much of the ball we had, so the, it's small sample size. But he was pretty sparky every time he got on the ball, around the ball. And that, that second goal where 
he does the interception and he sets it up for Nelson. I mean, he's he's you know half a second quicker than anybody seeing where that's going. So it's a shame our season's running down at this point. But yeah, there might be something there beyond beyond the average. I thought uh, uh, the other thing I think is Obama Yang not playing. I'm not. I was never really bought into the. Isn't this lovely? They're best friends playing together. Strikers. That is, and that's kind of like in the occupation of hitmen, right? You're. It's not about teamwork and partnership. They may be better off psychologically not playing together. You need to be aggressive, selfish, looking for the goals. And when you're always trying to be somebody's best buddy, as uh, you can see how respectful uh, they are of each other during the game. Sack and Tierney, I think Clive pointed out, is a really interesting pairing along that side. They kind of worked in tandem. They slid up and down, and that's how the formations change at the back, the midfield, and the attack. Lacazette through the middle. You know, I, I wasn't crying out for Aubameyang in this game uh, with Lacazette there. If it was a busier game, maybe I would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, this isn't all bad. Uh, can we take that forward? Will Lacazette produce that level of performance against other teams next year? Well, that's a whole other matter. Yeah. And I mean, I think there are two parts of the pitch I want to highlight. What well, you know what? There are three parts. No, there are four parts of the pitch I want to highlight. <laughs> no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Ah, uh, three minutes. Anyway. Um, so, Let's start with the the wide forwards. And Clive, I think one of the reasons this wasn't a masterful sit-deep encounter performance is the players tasked with countering never really got going. Nelson gets a goal. He deserves huge credit for it. He's, he's pressing to make it happen, and the finish is smooth. So hats off to him. I think there's questions about Nelson's ceiling and where he's going with the club, but he executes there, and it, it was super important because it's also at a point in the game where I think it felt more like it might be 5-0 than 2-1 Arsenal. Um Pepe, on the other hand, not so good. And I, you know, I think one of the defense, I I have been a huge Pepe fan. I continue to believe in his talent. But one of the defenses I've had from him is sort of, a lot of what he did at Lille was on the counterattack. You know, running down the wing at pace, distributing or getting in the box and finishing or getting hauled down and finishing off penalties. And, you know, we haven't been necessarily as counterattacky a team as we'd like to be. But it was set up to play on the counter in this game. And I think back to the game at Anfield under Emery, where he looked really dangerous, and it he didn't quite finish. But you remember what I'm talking about? There were a lot of long balls to him, and he yeah. he had them nervous early on. He never, never really created that kind of threat or danger in this game. And I felt, I felt it was a game where he he needed to step up and provide that outlet, and he didn't give it. Were you as frustrated by his his lack of contribution doing that? Yeah, I, I was. I think it was a pretty thankless task. I mean, we, we always judge our team on the ball, don't we? And we don't expect to be like this when it comes to passes. The last time I saw this live was probably when we played Barcelona once. I'm not sure. I think it's nil-nil at halftime, but how it was nil-nil, I, don't, I just don't ever remember. It was incredible how they pressed us and got the ball off us. When, whenever we do these podcasts, I do a little bit of prep. What I tend to do is I look at StatZone app, and I look at the influence tab, and I look at the passes tab. On the pass combinations tab, I think normally we're always on the first page. Our number one passing combination was seven passes. We just <laughs> didn't have the ball. 
No. We just came seven passes. I mean, look at it. Go down the list. I mean, it's incredible. We didn't have the ball. So now we're judging this player. We're saying we're trying to judge him on the ball. He's an on-the-ball player. And in this game, we made him an off-the-ball player. So you have to look at the team as an off-the-ball team. Lacazette is pretty good off the ball. He made it worth him, got the maximum reward. Nelson is also not bad off the ball. Tim alluded to him last night. He said he does what he's told to do. He's very he's very coachable. You know, he literally, as a coach says, stand in that square there, do that with that player. He will do it. He's got the physical ability to stay and do a, a few things there, particularly defensively. And his confidence grew with the ball as the game went on. So it was a, a completely unique game. This comes along once or twice a season, maximum. It never used to happen, where literally we were a small team playing a big team. Used to be and Barcelona we, in the Champions League. That's what it used exactly. to be. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Uh, used to, small team playing a big team, and we were we were given a taste of being a small team. And I think that's what we're all sort of digesting today. So within that context, I, I can't judge Pepe because Pepe's an on-the-ball player. However, as I said last night, I thought some of his body language wasn't really, really great. Was he working hard enough consistently? Is he that type of player? Is he finding that difficult? I'm not sure. And I don't care. He needs to do more of it off the ball. He needs to do more showing his feet on the ball. I was begging for him to swap sides. I just think it's a natural feeling for him when they do get on the ball to dribble in the spaces where they, they're comfortable with. Nelson spent a lot of his youth on the left-hand side. It would not have been an issue for him. Would have given him confidence he can come inside and shoot. And we all know Pepe likes that right-hand slot. I couldn't see tactically why they were swapped. Maybe uh, Arteta thought... He's got Tierney and Saka around around Pepe to keep them together. And maybe he felt that the combination of holding Suarez and Nelson was a more defensive one. And, and so he just trusted the group as a group. But I felt that affected Pepe on the ball. And when he moved over a bit, at least we got a couple of dribbles out of him. But and it is a worry in general. It is a worry. and But I think it's a worry because every time you talk about Nicolas Pepe, you talk about 72 million that price is just hanging over us. Mm. And we all know that we're not seeing that value regardless of the installments. We're not seeing that value. And we all know it needs to work for the financial viability and yeah. offense future of our club. This guy needs to work. Cause at the moment, we're not sure what we're getting and everyone's watching and there's no way if we sold him tomorrow, we get the money back. So we have a problem developing right there. Yeah. And I mean, look, I, I, <laughs> I hate to just defer to the Arscast, but it was excellent today as always. And and I thought that James was spot on with his analysis when he talked a little bit about how Liverpool built their club in that first summer under Klopp. They didn't buy anybody for, I think, for more than 34 or 35 million pounds. And, you know, they made some bad purchases, but they got some players that wound up being really important pieces to the title. They got back in the top four. They got Champions League money, and then they spent big and selling a guy like Coutinho helps. But, you know, I mean, that that was how the process started. And so... Would Mikel Arteta bite your hand off to have the 72 million pounds back for Pepe to spend it elsewhere? I think that w- that he would. That doesn't mean Pepe's not good. He is good. But, you know, it, that's sort of a different question. I, I I was frustrated because I think we we just needed that outlet. I mean, I, let me ask you a super, super quick question, Clive, just over under. We now face City at the weekend. Will we have more than the 31% possession or less than the 31% possession we had against Liverpool? Just Ooh. over under. Over 31% possession uh, over, or under? 
Maybe up to about 35. All right, I'll take maybe. it. That's, that's exciting. Yeah, that's um, about that. Paul, let me ask you about midfield and about control. I, I think the thing that's really hard for me, and it was hard for me when we played Barcelona, but Barcelona had Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets. They were a different kind of team. They were Pep's tiki-taka team, and they, they were about possession. I don't see Liverpool that way. We passed it about 60% in this game. We couldn't hold the ball. And the thing that really strikes me is just... I don't think of this Liverpool team as a super technical in-possession team. That may be wrong. But I think of them as a, a, a team that can get into your boots, take the ball off you, transition. Um, and maybe I just have, the, have them wrong in my mind. But how do you explain our inability to, to keep the ball? Is it just purely that our midfielders are not at the level? I mean, Saka's not a midfielder. He's still figuring that out. Torreira maybe just the technical level, maybe a notch lower than we need. And Shaka, we know Shaka is not a small space under pressure kind of player. Like, is it purely well, midfield? Is it set up? Cause <clears throat> I don't think Arsenal should ever be at 31% possession and 60% passing against even the best teams in the world. I think even against Pep's Barcelona, he, well, we, we were against them to be fair, but it, I mean, that was the alarming thing to me was the gap in in control, the total inability at any time to get your foot on the ball and control the game. So how do you how do you analyze that and how do you explain it? Um, well, you are like in normal times, I would be this will be very much my topic to the midfield. Mm. But uh, I think you're uh, I would say it feels like you're a bit hung up on midfield when Arteta isn't. He's basically got you say you persuaded yourself it was a three-man midfield in this game. Mm. I don't buy that at all. I, this was a two-man midfield whose job was not to ping the ball around, around hold on to possession, create stuff. We're still... Well, so can I ask you a many, question about, about yeah. that two-man versus three-man? I saw clear patterns of play out of possession where Shaq in the middle, Trey on the right, Sack on the left as a line of three ahead of the back four. You didn't see it that way? Not really, because... Okay. Saka's touch pattern is a lot closer to Suarez's than it is to Torreira's, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be largely what happened in terms of when we were out of possession. It's and hard, right, because we have so few touches that, you yeah. know, if you have like two of them in their penalty area, it could show that as being your main possession. Yeah, but yeah, yeah go ahead. And, and to me, the logic was we had our tactical flexibility from Tierney and Saka, so we had position, those two pushed on, Pepe moved a little more centrally as Obama Yang does. So you have that swivel there. Uh, but Saka is basically acting as a wing back, a more progressive wing back than Suarez is. Uh, he's giving us some more attacking, but both of them are covering the wings. So um, we're, we're providing with the cross that midfield with two wing backs, uh, call them midfielders if you like, but, they're wingbacks to me. So you're not going to see our possession is going to have to be pinged up the wings to get out or we go long or David Louise pings it. Um, and conversely, they have three midfielders, three proper midfielders with their two uh, fullbacks bang, uh, bombing forward. So they had three on two in our midfield. Plus, if you give them, if you put three or four in your midfield, they'll just second switch the play you know, that plays into their hands. They'll take your midfield out of it anyway. So, you know, we're just doubling down on what we do generally in terms of the strategy for the, the season, which is we're mostly playing through the wings, up the wings. So 
for the for the time being, I'm not freaking out about the fact that we're not a possession midfield. We don't create midfield. I don't think we even began to attempt to play in this particular game for one game only to do anything uh, particularly innovative through midfield. It was all up the wings, uh, ping Nelson, Lacazette, ball over the top, fight for scraps, press when they have it in their their third, use the pressing as your playmaker. It was all very, very tactical. Um, but mm. to your point, it, it's not like we don't kind of do this in other games and we have, you know, we don't have that third midfielder that would make it so exciting to play that way. I Personally, I think Sabayas <clears throat> does a lot of good stuff in possession. He's a really good midfielder for tackling interceptions but can't cover the ground and in many ways suits a three-man midfield. We've never managed to find two other midfielders to play with him, though. Mm. And and I would like to see us moving to a, to a three-man midfield. I'm not sure who the three three people are. They <clears throat> aren't currently in our lineup. We don't have them. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. We don't have them. I mean, we've discussed maybe like a Torreira at the base with Ceballos shuttling and, and Saka as, a, as an eight. But like, yeah. you, you're... you're you're just sort of inventing solutions for a problem yep. that doesn't have a natural one. I agree with that. And look, I could be way off in how I'm seeing it. I think realistically there were times when we were defending 6-3-1. You know, we were pushed back so deep. And, and I think when you're pushed back that deep and you have that little control, analyzing systems is sort of almost pointless because you just sort of wind up at some point smushed back so far that it's just a flattened blob of Arsenal players trying to keep the ball out of their penalty area and out of their goal. Um, but Clive, other than my erudite and sophisticated analysis as a smushed blob of players, would you like to add something that could somehow elevate that discourse? Because I don't see how you're going to do it. The fact that we're sort of talking about our system tells you what really, really happened in the game, right? So I think it's almost more important to sort of look at Liverpool, look what they do. So they have a, a classic principle of play where they attack you where you're least prepared. It's a, it's a classic combat Go for the enemy with the least prepared. But what they have is the ability to hit those areas. right? So Van Dyke's got a great long ball. Alexander's got a great long ball. And so they can switch to play where you're most vulnerable. So when you load over to create small spaces, they go over the other side and say, no, you don't. And as it's switching, they sprint into those areas to create overloads. So really smart. We're quite basic. And if they lose it, it's okay. Those same sprinters run back and counter foul you. And if you do get far up the pitch, don't worry. Fabinho will take you. And if you do get a little bit further, good luck with Gomez and Van Dyke. Mm. And if you do get past them, we've got the best goalkeeper in the world who comes out and use his feet. Not not on this so, day, by the way. <laughs> not on this day, yeah. And so, and so what it does, Elliot, it, it, it says to you, it, it destroys your system. So this is why I think Arteta was really good. He 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 zone managed the game. Yeah, he said he discouraged them. They were very tight on on Salah, very tight on that side. So they, he basically Tierney eliminated Salah beautifully, and it's the best game I've seen him play. Absolutely wonderful. And so what that forced him to do was go over him and around him. And this is why Saka ran himself into the ground, staying with Trent to try and stop that diagonal, or at least put him under pressure. But it was Van Dyke over to Alexander, and on the, on the other side, it was Trent getting it over to the left-hand side quite quickly, and trying to sprint into overloads. So while this is happening, what do you think's happening to our shape? It's mm. been collapsed. 
it's been collapsed. Yeah. We've been and so the that's core the smush, issue. That's the smush blob, by the way. You can use <laughs> yeah, you can use that. You. you don't have to leave that for me. <laughs> I'll leave that to you, patented. Okay. Okay. So we've been collapsed. But what I was really impressed with is while we were collapsing, we didn't we sort of held our composure in a strange way. In the, in the main. Maybe that's results-based. But we, we collapsed, but we still were quite condensed. But, okay, we couldn't get out, right? Because we were forced to go long. We couldn't get out. We can't retain it. And I, I do think there's a physical dominance to Liverpool and technical quality and intensity and tenacity in Mane and Salah that really do maximise the moments that they have. They've got free kick takers. They've got long shot makers. They can do a lot of stuff. But it's very bombastic and physical, mm. and they force you. I cannot tell you. One of the things I've learned the most about this lo- in this lockdown period is the feeling and the sound of physicality, and knowing when you see man versus man, when you know your man is not the stronger. You can just see it by you can feel it by how the ball moves, by the first touch, the sound when they strike the ball. They're crisper, they're faster, and they look more athletic. And yet they've got the technical quality in the top end to deliver. You know, and it's a really interesting mix. I do think teams have been watching them. I do think teams are starting to nullify them. And I do think teams will up their running power to run with them in certain areas and to keep them back and to stress them out. Liverpool have pushed up a lot higher this year. Do, so do you think five subs makes them. that easier too? Because you're going to run so much and like you need the fresh legs to, to stay with them athletically. I mean, do you think that helps? Yeah, I think it does help. And I was I, I love the five subs idea originally because I think what it does is it allows players to play. And more, but now I'm thinking, you know what, it also allows big teams to hoard players because they're going to get minutes, yeah. which is not good. And, and just I'm, bring on a higher tier of quality player, you know, than, than like, I mean, the, the, the 15th best guy at Watford doesn't stand a chance against the 15th best guy at Man City. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm hoping they go to... Maybe the Premier League haven't decided what to do yet. I'm hoping they maybe do it in the stage and go four subs, but on three different intervals, you know, occurrences where you can make them so you don't lose too much time. Um, I hope they don't go to five. I think five may be a bit much. And obviously drinks breaks come out, so that'll be back to normal. But yeah, I think win this game, look at them, and I think... They made us turn into something that we're not. But what I was really pleased with, that we did it okay, didn't we? We did it okay. And I think we, our belief in what we were doing grew once we could see the finishing line. I think yeah. the last 20 minutes or so, I think, wow, we looked like a team that has thought, Tyke, we might actually win here and played like it. Well, and I think, you know, my parkour analogy from before of like falling off the ladder and landing on your feet and, and calling it parkour, like I, I'm not just saying that to be contrarian or a jerk. I mean, I, I think Arteta's comments post-match are telling, and, and we'll come to those. I don't want to do it yet because I want to finish with the match first. But, I mean, you know, it's it's not like he didn't make the point that the gap is big. He he said it. Um, the gap is enormous, he said, and we'll, we'll get to that. But, um, Paul, let, let's talk. Before we move on to Arteta's comments, I want to get to two things, some some individual defensive performances, but I want to, I want to talk Emmy Martinez. The yeah. save he makes is astoundingly good it's yeah. it's a game saver a, a team that desperately needs a pick me up that maybe you don't say they deserve this win but they fought hard enough to to get it in the end and and it would have been a shame to lose it that way and and he rescues it he's been nothing short of brilliant apart from trying to kick the ball off his own player into his own net but that's another issue um 
The funny thing is, by the way, that foul that Tierney wins in the box late, Shakiri hits the ball low and into the corner before as that whistle's going. And Martinez isn't getting there. And I know everyone had stopped, but like I'm really convinced that if Tierney doesn't buy that foul, that's going in, that's the equalizer. But anyway, um, as good as Martinez has been, I think we have an issue. Look, we know we don't have a lot of resources, and anyone who can raise money is mm-hmm. is worth doing, um, is worth selling. I don't think we're in a position where we can afford to have two very, very, very excellent goalkeepers at our team. Now you might say, oh, you need it. You need it. You got to have a guy who can come in behind the other guy. Look at Liverpool. Look at who's behind Allison. Uh, they signed up a car crash. Well, who did they sign up? They signed him up this summer for a free. And, Adrian. Yeah, he was terrible. Uh, terrible. Um, you know, and I mean, they got by and they nearly broke a points record, but they won't because we beat them. So, haha. But, like, how do you feel about the, the performance of Emmy Martinez and the reality that if we have two excellent goalkeepers, we may have to move one? And, and do you have a preference for which one you'd move? Um,. So yes to all of that, uh, if you can give a yes answer to it. Um, buy low, sell high. I mean, his maybe his value will never be more than it is going into this season unless we think he can play at this level for next season. Um, I did. I I've always thought Emmy Martinez was quite good, uh, and not that we saw a huge amount of him, but he never. We played David Ospina while Martinez was at the club. What was going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, the big we, did, apparently didn't think he was a world beater, but right now he is. I don't know if he can be a world beater forever. I don't know if it's the adrenaline of getting the start and holding on to it, and it's kind of his dreams come through. Come true. You know, we people used to think Jordan Pickford was good once. People used to wonder why we hadn't gone for him. So. <laughs> these things don't last forever always. <clears throat> but on the other hand, despite his uh, his moment early on in the game, I mean, he just looks like a better distributor to me than Bernd Leno. Long um, distributor. You think you think with the ball at his feet, playing the ball short, he looks better than Leno? Because I, I don't uh, see it that way. It doesn't I think he mind. looks as good. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I mean, Bernd might be a little crisper, but I don't think he's necessarily better with the short ball. Mm. Um, and I think the other thing is uh, Leno doesn't have a good kind of medium out ball to the wing. Uh, I've heard people say that's his advantage. That's not what I see. I think, um, I think Martinez does a better kind of mid-range chip to the wing to kind of clear the first line of attack. So distribution across the board, he's at least equal in a, a couple of areas, and I would say better overall. Um, but Brent Leno's been a really good shot, st- shot stopper for a long time now, and our, Martinez has been eye-catching for, like, going on two months. Um, that's a tough call. It might be down to who who's willing to move, who's ready to move, and who we can, we can get the top dollar for, because with so few options... Um, I don't see that you hold on to both of them. Um, if it were my call, God, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, if you're saying you'll sell me this Martinez and he'll stay like this, I keep Martinez. Well, but that's that's the thing, isn't it? So, Paul, that's what I would thing. say is, as you pointed out, we've had this guy a very, very, very long time, and a number of different coaches and talent evaluators and whatever you want to say have decided he's not the guy. That doesn't mean they're right. I mean, Jamie Vardy... Yeah wasn't the guy until he was the guy. I I, I get it. And goalkeepers do develop later. And he certainly has the body for it, right? He's big. He's springy. Um, I think what I would say is, if I've got to sell one, look, 
gives me no pleasure to sell a player I think is good, but we can't have two good goalkeepers if one of them can bring us money that can strengthen us elsewhere. We just can't. It, it would be crazy. To, let's say both these guys right now are worth 35 million pounds. I'm just picking a number. You're going to tell me as a club we can afford to have a 35 million pound check sitting as a backup keeper? We can't. We cannot. Not when that can buy you a very, very, very good young midfielder. So no. Um, or, or central defender, whatever it is. So what I would say is, I think Martinez's level right now is arguably higher than Leno's level was. Although I think we are forgetting that Leno was our player of the season before he went down. Um, having said that, I would be inclined to keep the guy who has a better track record of, of being a first choice keeper at a high level than the guy who for a long time was not trusted to be at that level. I also think, and this is a point, I think Clive, maybe you made it, but it's a really good point. So I'll attribute it to you to make you feel good. Um, keepers often look best when they are very busy. Um, that was Tim's point. Tim's I've got point. to give it to him. Yeah, it's it's excellent point. I think you look at, you know, Fabianski was, was a joke for us for many years and went on to be very good for Swansea. I think when a keeper is busy, that's their best. You know what keepers want to do? They want to jump across their box and turn shots around the corner. What they don't want to do is stand there for 90 minutes with one thing to do the whole game. That's really hard. Um, I think Martinez has come in and done the job brilliantly, and I'm not taking anything away from him, but I'd probably have to stick with the guy pedigree-wise that I just feel a little more sure of. And I, I slightly disagree so with One you. other thing I'd have to jump in on the Martinez thing is he's really good on crosses and his presence in the box where Leno's still touch and go on that maybe, stuff. Maybe. I, I, I mean, I think this is this is a case of I think there's a little recency bias here. I think we are forgetting how good Leno mm -hmm. was. I mean, look, Leno had a couple of high, high-profile errors that literally lost. Like, he loses us the Chelsea game, and it, it it arguably is the reason why we're not in a top four chase. So, like that is that is heartbreaking for him. But you know, to be fair, if Martinez doesn't get lucky, that ball that he kicks off his own player goes in his net, and and we lose this game. So you know, six and one half dozen the other. Clive, I don't want to stand this much longer because we, we've still got to get to Arteta's comments and I want to touch on the defenders. So do you have just an, a, yeah, an inkling a, of an idea of which way you'd go? I, I'm generally not sure because Martinez, before this recent period, I, I was guided when Leno went down. Yeah, really upset. You should look at my tweets. Really they upset. were terrible. <laughs> and Martinez, is, he has all these physical attributes. But basically, mate, he wasn't making saves. The ball would just go through him. Right, the thing he does now when he goes down too early, he was doing that a lot, and he just wasn't making saves, and I was really concerned. But he's come in, and maybe it's just a feeling of, well, you know what, this is mine. I can now relax. You now, just that relaxed feeling, mm. and he's building trust. Not only is he building trust, he's dominating. He's dominating the area. He's dominating his, his defenders. He's he's communicating. He's shouting. He looks the part on crosses, and some of these saves are spectacular. Now, if he can sort out the one-on-ones, I mean, rushing out to feet, I think he goes down too early like he did at Brighton and he did against Son. He's got to realise he's a big body, so you've got to beat me, don't let me beat myself. That's just coaching. Once he sorts that out, we've got, we've got a problem here, a big problem, and I don't think it's one we can carry. They're too good. Both of them are too good. We can't have that. That's, 30, that's 25 million, 30 million quid. I agree with you, Elliot. We can't carry both. This is not This is not a kindergarten. One will have to go and make his career. This guy's only had about 
16 to 17 premiership appearances in 10 years. I know he came as a kid, but we got to be true to him and say, you need to, you need to start your career somewhere next year. It's either here or it's somewhere else. Cause we, we can't do that to him anymore because he has proven he is top, top class. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at some level, you also just run into the problem of like, you, you're probably paying Leno more money. He came to be the guy Sometimes the reality of football is just what it is. We have more invested in Leno, and so we have to hold on to Leno, and we have to move on from Martinez, not because he's not good and not because he hasn't shined in this moment. If you can sell your backup keeper off a good month of Project Restart football for $30 million, you know, maybe I'm out of my mind, but like, if you can do that, by God, you do it. Um you know, if it's if it's eight million or something, well, you know, the conversation changes. So let's let's touch on defenders. I'll stay with you, Clive. First, our first really good look at Rob holding under a lot of uh, stress, and I'd say just standing next to David Luiz on a football pitch is enough to to give anybody stress and anxiety. Uh, you know, obviously passing is not really his bag right now, but it wasn't anybody's bag against Liverpool. I thought Rob Holding looked more robust and physical and assured in the in the duels than he has. Um, maybe he's just a guy who the closer he gets to... You know, we have a lot of defenders who the closer they get to the goal, the worse they get. David Luiz, Mustafi, Kolasinac. Maybe Holding's the opposite. Maybe Holding is a guy who can be a little bit better closer to his goal. I mean, how did you feel about this performance from him? Yeah, that's a great observation, actually. So the, he's, he's good in crowd scenes, right? So he's an old-school zonal defender when the back four right next to him and, and fullbacks don't push on too far he he's not the greatest athlete he runs with a little slight outward step when he hits the ground so mechanically he doesn't look good he hasn't got strong upper body he hasn't got strong shoulders i'm glad arteta only sees him on the right hand side because although he's spent a lot of time on the left hand side in the back three i feel he's better on his right foot his passing has been better in the past, but he just seems to be losing his picture. But let's be honest, we couldn't pass in this game to anybody because they, they were just too strong for us. But what I will say with him, he is one of those players that needs a trigger. And once you get him angry, you see a different player. Well, Mane kicked out at him. I thought there could have been two reds in this game, right? Alexander and Mane both could have gone. So that, that definitely set him off, don't you think? Absolutely. So I've seen players like this. My own son's like this. You've got to get him angry. Once you get him angry, you don't have to worry about him anymore. Hmm. Because he's tenacious. He's tight. He's all over you. He's he's like a rash. So he looked more like Keown with Mane in this game. It was a tussle. It was a fight. He could afford to go tight. He could afford to wrestle knowing there were people around him. Again, that's where the back three helps. Gives him confidence. I thought... When Suarez was, I thought he was, I thought he got injured in that heading challenge. I thought he was a little bit patchy after that. I'm not sure Ainsley had a great game when he came on, but just having those bodies around holding allows him to be himself, right? So we have a problem. But the problem is, we want a back four defender, don't we? We want a back four defender, wide space defender. We can leave these two defenders alone while we overload good sides. I don't think he fits that mold. For us in the future so he's one of those players that we, we can use right now but again we should be loaning or selling so really the question is do we prefer him to Mustafi with Regency Bayern to get a really good forward we would say yes absolutely he defends his area much better he was more solid 
now we're playing Man City with their flying number eights with their little short feet, tap, 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 <laughs> Sterling running around him. Like no one over five foot seven. And we got Rob Holding standing on that right hand side of our defence, six foot two, with feet flat, pointed outwards. I'm thinking, you know what? This may suit a chunky Mustafi who's got faster feet. I'm not saying he's a better player, but he just may suit. Well, the problem is his feet are usually above his head as he's lying on the ground doing who the hell knows what. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not saying, yeah, his feet are pointed flat on the ground as he's laying down on his sunbed. Right? So, yeah, so like, yeah, you're absolutely right. But I'm just saying, horses for courses, I thought it was a a good decision to play him in this game. Um, I think Mustafi had to come out, but it's 50 50 for Saturday. Right, so but I'm I'm happy either way, as long as they're both switched on <laughs> to the best of their ability as we watch um Sterling, David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne flash into those channels. It should be fun. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And look, I think the fact that we aren't talking about we're talking about a mostly nothing Salah performance speaks volumes about the guys on that side of the pitch, namely Tierney and Holding. Um maybe a little less said about Cedric and Louise, the better um Paul, I'm, I, going to you to criticize is is dangerous business on my part because it usually backfires. Um, I, I I feel everybody as I was great though. What everybody everybody, everybody was, great. was great. Everybody was uniformly great. Um, I am getting with Louise to the point I was at yeah. with Mustafi where you just have to wonder if he can be used. Um, I mean, the one point where he just sat on his ass with his feet in front of him for no particular reason in front of Leno was worrying. There were a couple other. He had a long ball that he kicked all the way out for a goal kick that you know Usain Bolt wasn't going to run on to. He was supposed to be a guy who was a good distributor. That seems to have gone. Certainly any composure or awareness, just being awake on the pitch from him, missing. Love that we got this win. And in a performance that deserves some credit for backs to the wall defending, I still think he managed to not come away with much credit. I mean... Where are you on Louise right now? Uh, yeah, I did. I thought he was looked particularly uh, meh in this particular performance. I think uh, the intensity even wasn't quite there. This is a setup that should suit him. You know, we've been told he's a great center back with when it's three at the back. <clears throat> this game, all right, we were as. Uh, as you talked about, we're maybe a lot closer to goal than he likes to spend 90 minutes. But in the Spurs game, he had a mirror too. And in that one, we were we had a high line and didn't cover himself in glory during that. And maybe he's just kind of, he's reeling a little bit from his, his, his Arsenal experience and trauma, but he's well off what he should be for us. Uh, not a, not based on his worst performances or with two at the back. I mean, he's supposed to be good in this scenario. <clears throat> and I thought he was our most disappointing center back of the three. Looked the most lackadaisical. Um, wasn't particularly sharp. And the distribution thing, I mean, it was... Look at uh, Van Dyke pinging those. They're basically supposed to have the same... Uh, skill sets for pinging balls. Well, over thankfully, the top. he didn't ping one ball like Van Dyke did, right? <laughs> to yeah. uh, Nelson for Lacazette to yeah. give it back to him. Yeah. Anyway. Indeed. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he had various delicious long balls, and Luis, for some reason, is, he can't take free kicks anymore. And his long balls are like too shallow, too fast, skid off the turf and, and, and out. So, um, plus, uh, interestingly, 
too many times we tried this playing out from the back thing with Martinez giving it to Luis, who then decides to long ball it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it may just have been the, the nature of this game not going to plan. We planned to play a little bit more from the back, uh, but kept getting stuffed. So probably didn't do him any any favors in in that area. We I mean, we, we did manfully try and ping it out through Luis Chaka a few times. We never really got our game going there. Uh, perhaps that didn't help him. But yeah, I think he's been way off what he should be based on how we're playing. This should suit him. And unfortunately, we signed up for another year of David Luiz. Yeah, I mean, it. I got to say with Cedric and Luiz, I, I don't see it. I didn't see it. And I, I know that there are a lot of people that in particular with Cedric disagree with me. I fully, fully acknowledge the other I side of the argument. I do think he looks promising. He looks sparky. I don't think he's terrible. Just to be clear, Paul, because I, I don't want to get yeah. into this. It's more a squad building thing. It's still about the 29-year-old yeah, yeah. No, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Okay, let's get to the meat of the, the discussion then, though, because I think the interesting stuff, other than winning and how great it was to win and how much it means, I think, as they touched on the Ars cast again, to just keep borrowing their content because it's better. Um, yeah, look, I mean when you tell the players to do a thing and you keep doing the thing and the thing doesn't get you wins, eventually the players stop wanting to do the thing. They got the win. They deserved it. And I think it's a nice turnaround from a couple of results that I felt were maybe more harsh than were deserved in the last few games. So kudos to the players and Tarteta. Winning this game makes it all the more interesting reading his comments, though, Clive. So there's a lot here, a lot of comments um, that I think you could you could pull apart. And... You know, obviously he he w- he went pretty big on the importance of spending and the need to spend and the worry that we wouldn't spend. Um, I, I I'm going to read these out because I I think it's important to read them out. But, but before I read them out, just as I I sort of uh, get them all ready here and and I'll give them to you and tee you up. Before I read them out, do you feel that they were as pointed as people have reacted to them being. I feel they were pointed. I'm not sure of all the reaction, but the moment you heard them, you thought, yes, he's saying the right things. And it's very important that someone says them. It's very important that someone says them that can communicate in a way that makes us believe in what he's saying. It's very important that he provides um, transparency to the layers between him and the ownership because a lot of the actions that are sort of taken on in the last few days in regarding to uh, the, the debt position, what they've really bought is more opaqueness, right? So they are an, a, a, an opaque organization now, top to bottom. So what does that mean? We need this guy to absolutely make sure that we all know that the club knows this is where we are. We have to accept this. We have to. We all accept it, I think, and last night made that clear. This is where we are. If we want to close the gap, we've got work to do, and that can't be done by magic beans, right? We've got to go out there, and we can do things we, internally. We can change our culture. We can get people buying in. I can show you all those things. I can coach a group to the maximum of their abilities, but in the end, there's a ceiling, and I think... We won this game last night, but we could all see the ceiling. We can still respect what happened in the result, but there was a ceiling there that was obvious, and he's just letting us know 
that I can do as much as I can, but I can't do much more unless there's changes to the squad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I felt that this was pretty pointed. I'll, I'll read out a few. I mean, the one thing that stood out is when he said the gap is enormous. Now, I like that what he did is rewarded his players by saying the gap in effort and energy and commitment is now equal, and that wasn't the case when I arrived. I like that he did that because, look, I think players are, are smart. They know they've been played off the pitch in some le- in some ways, but they deserve credit for the commitment they show in getting the result, right? Um, but he says, look, you are not in the Champions League. Well, so let's back up a little bit. He says, harder and harder because that's obviously something that has to fit each other. You are not in the Champions League, and because you are not in the Champions League, you say, okay, I don't invest because I don't have the financial ability to do it. But the other clubs invest, and then the gap becomes bigger. If I do want to invest and take the risk, and then I don't reach it, what happens? That's a mistake. You have to make a decision whether I want to aim to make the gap closer and go for it or stay where I am. You see many good examples of teams that have done it, and they have come back to the Champions League that way. Um, you know, then, you know, he was asked if he was worried about not spending and he said he was i mean he said he was so uh, paul go to you i'll come back to you on this clive that we're not we're not going to leave this so quickly i mean let me ask you the the nuclear option i realize this is me going over the top but it's sort of my brand so stick with me could you see a scenario where he's not backed and he just says i don't have the horses here i'm I'm gone i mean is that is that even remotely in your thinking or is that just a wild overreaction well he he's reacting to something because if they were sharing the budget with him and he was happy with it he wouldn't be saying this. So to me, there's two scenarios. One is they said, you got no money. Or two is they've said, and therefore they're at a point where they can still be influenced. We're not sure what the financial landscape looks like. We kind of have to be self-financing. We can do some stuff, but we're going to be really, really limited, Mikel. You're going to have to sell players before you can buy them. And he's saying, well, in this window and, and like... I really can't buy or plan till I've sold. So I think the the conversations are murky. He's unsure. They're giving him a lot of blah, 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 because Stan hasn't said, all right, go for it, guys. I'll back you. Stan has said, I'll, I'll back you a little bit, but you guys have to sort out your books. you got too many players. You're going to have to do a bunch of sales. Your wages are too high. I suspect Stan has, has done the loan thing. Uh, to to take that off the club's back, but basically said, now you need to tidy up your mess, uh, redeploy your your assets, work that out. And so the answer from Edu to Arteta is, look, buddy, I, I'm not sure how much we've got for you this summer. Uh, it's a bit, it's not a lot. Uh, we're going to have to sell a bunch of players, and it, we don't know how that's going to go, so we just can't tell you what you got. That's what I think's going on. And he's saying... Yeah. This is bullshit. I can't plan. Uh, as I mentioned in the back chat there, I think this is more a post-NLD comment than a post-Liverpool comment because he's obviously decided what he was going to say. And he came out of that North London derby saying, Jesus, I got to play, change a bunch of players here. I mean, on the job he has at his hands at Arsenal, he says it's massive. You need only look at the difference between the two teams today. The gap is enormous. The gap in many areas, we cannot improve it in two months. Okay? Um, But then, 
asked about rebuilding, he said, do you have, will you have money to spend? He says, I don't know. And whether the lack of money is concerning, it's a big concern. You know, you yeah. have to see how they build those squads. There's no magic. You need to improve the squad with quality, quality players. And you need bigger squads to compete in this competition. That's the challenge. Clive, I mean, it's funny because as a player at the team, you might think, great, my coach is saying we need quality players and we don't have it. What the fuck am I? But I also think... If you're a player who wants to have a future with Arsenal and thinks you're part of Arsenal's future, I think you want to hear those comments, right? Because you don't want to be languishing in, in ninth. You want to be competing yeah. for the big honors. So, I mean, how do you think this message will be received at ownership level and at dressing room level? Well, I think he's had enough time to establish himself in the club. I think we can all see the man of top quality and calibre, right? So he's coming to the club. He's set out the culture side of things. He's made it clear that he thinks the club is the place to be. He's trying to rebuild the name, try to rebuild the badge. He needs to get some credibility. So he's doing that amongst all the people in the club by how he's coaching and by how he communicates, by how he lives with, within the club on a daily basis. Tick. Done all of that. This guy within within the game of football has been somebody that's been given rave reviews even before he's managed to gain so everyone's talking about him in the village of football. But now he's come in. He looked at Arsenal. We all knew the rubbish he was walking into. He's look, he's come in and he's he's improved us, particularly defensively, improved a lot of our underlying numbers. But we can see there's a ceiling around the corner. So he's right to say what he's saying. He's right to say what he's saying for a number of reasons. To the players that he really wants to keep that may be looking outside, I need to show them that I'm serious about giving them their careers the support they need by adding more quality around them. And we think about our our 25-goal striker, we know we talk about here. And secondly, he has his own career to protect. He cannot be crushed by Arsenal's football club issues at the ownership layer, issues on the recruitment layer, issues with executives like coming in and out of the club. I, I did always feel a little bit for Emery, despite his sort of failings. Two of the four people that hired him disappeared within months of him starting. It's a very rocky place. I always felt we needed to go through the Emery era because we needed to look at ourselves to find out what we really are. I will just say, Clive, a... Clive, when they disappeared, I-, I felt for him too, and I think the best thing would have been for him to go and be with them. Just you know. Yeah, well, I would... I would... <laughs> But you know, when you when you start a job within three, two, three months, you know, within fourth month, the two people that have hired you, that have supported you, give you confidence, have gone, mm-hmm. which leaves you in a weaker position. When it comes to sele- selecting your squad, suddenly people say, "Nope, not going to happen." So you're weakened immediately. So there's two sides to that, right? We know Emery wasn't perfect for us now in hindsight, but I also feel a little bit of sympathy for him, right? So, so and Arteta's not going to let that happen to him. No chance. He's going to say, look, this is what I need. And if you don't do it, it's absolutely clear if I ever walk out this door why I'm walking out. Mm. And, and, that, and that's right. That's exactly what you do. You've got confidence in yourself. You get to a position where everyone can see you're quite good. And then you say, you know what? This is what I need to take us. He said words like, I have not come here for, for that when they talk about the position that we're in. He has come here to be better to get us to the top of the game so we're all behind him and we need to be massively behind him and really vociferous about this because he is absolutely right there is no magic beans here we have to do this the hard way by being good by being smart 
by being ruthless where we need to be and by rebuilding this squad appropriately and not worrying about certain players that are going to have to go. One of my players that I like is going to go most probably. I don't care. You know, I care about the betterment of the team. I don't want to watch the Liverpool team in wonderment because four or five years ago, I wasn't. Right, I look at Liverpool thinking we're okay. Now I'm thinking, what's it going to be? Right, so that needs to change. If we and we need to have a better feeling about where we are, and show that we're on, we're not drifting like we have done over the last few years. So massively behind him. Every time he does this, he forces the club to react. And I've just got a feeling and a hunch that the club is going to react in a positive way. I'm not one of these people that's dooming. I'm not one of these people that think there will be no investment because business people are not stupid. If you don't invest, you're going to lose your asset. It's going to decrease and you won't be able to sell. You'll be able to maintain it in the same way. So I think it's really important that um, we support him, which I all we know do. I know we all do, but also just make sure that we are vociferous in that support to make sure that in the in the little bit of influence as fans that we do have, that we are, we are vociferous so the club can see it. Tell well, me more about those magic beans options. That's, that's, well, look, that sounds promising. I think we can all agree he will only strengthen his position further by winning the FA Cup and running the table in the Premier League and having us back in Europe and uh, hoisting a cup at the end of the season. So I'm looking forward to that. I, I can assure you Pep is not looking forward to facing him after the performance we put up against the champions. So all good things. We'll have a preview pod for patrons coming on Friday, so you can look forward to that. But certainly, uh, for anybody who wants a pod, there's always a pod. There's always a pod. There's going to be a pod. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Uh, yep, we are. I think we have beaten the best, which means we are the best. So I think that's a perfect place to leave it. And up next, what can City possibly offer us? Not much, I say. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal Ten. City nil. No.